It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. It is well with my soul. I, we heard that there's a history to that. I'm not going to go into it, but I, if you don't know the history, I encourage you to uh, Google that or whatever because it is a very touching uh, and uh, wonderful account, wonderful story. Our soul, most theologians will say our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It, it is part of what carries on into eternity. Our spirit goes into eternity. Our soul goes into eternity. And as, given that the soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, uh, basically what has to happen, and we read in Psalm 23, Jesus refreshes, restores our soul. He's a good shepherd, restores our soul. He restores what we think. He restores what we feel. He restores what we want and puts him in order in line with the will of God. And that's why we can pray and be assured that when we pray, we will receive what we pray as we pray according to the will of God. That's not even in my notes, okay? I was just touched by the song today. Uh, that's what uh, I, I came to Christ on Easter Sunday in New Orleans, Louisiana in 1982. Uh, went into a uh, uh, church that became a vineyard church. And our first song today, if you were paying attention, it was written by a vineyard uh, worship leader. Come. Uh, what a wonderful song. And, and uh, uh, with that said, I, I came up here from... Uh, New Orleans in 1989 and began attending a Foursquare church. So Foursquare and and uh, uh, Vineyard are kind of charismatic churches. We didn't do anything with snakes, so thank God for that. But uh, but uh, we, it was charismatic and and exciting time. But then the Lord took me to a Nazarene church in in Idaho Falls, where Pastor Les. Uh, was my pastor, and I'm so grateful to him for, uh, even for this opportunity, for him asking the church council to allow me to preach today. So thank you, Pastor Les, if you're watching. Uh, thank you. God bless you. We're praying for you and your team in Africa that God uses you mightily. Thank you for the church council. I'm not even sure who they are, but wherever you are, thank you for, for allowing me to uh, stand in the pulpit today and preach. I am Steve Morielli. Um, I'm your substitute teacher and preacher, and no, we're not going to have a movie today. We will have a sermon. So, um, you are the you are the church. You are this wonderful organization, probably the best organization ever, because uh, it's established by God. It is uh, in the Greek word the ecclesia or ecclesia, depending on how you want to pronounce your Greek. Ecclesia is my preference. It means the called out. We have been called out from the world. We have been called to be apart from the world. Uh, so that we could go back into the world and share the gospel to a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel, the good news, all about Jesus Christ, about God's love and his willingness to forgive us for our sins and to take us into eternity. You know, one way to talk about that is, is to talk, discuss the immense power of God. The immensity of what he can do, it's unlimited. His power is so great uh, that he has even defeated the power of the grave. 
And that's wonderful, isn't that? That's the power of the grave. We, we no longer need to fear dying. We have the hope of eternal life waiting for us. I imagine, I imagine that when we breathe our last, when we, when our heart beats that last beat and, and we leave this world that it's almost instantly, perhaps instantly, I don't know, never been through it, none of you have, okay? But we then enter into the presence of God Almighty, of Jesus Christ who welcomes us. And it just takes place in an, in an instant. Uh, and, and, and we leave behind this very troubled world. And there are people in this very troubled world that need to hear about that. They need to hear about the, the power of God. In, in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 15, it says, Through his death, referring to Jesus, through his death, he might, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is, the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. You know anybody like that? They're afraid of dying? That, that you know, we, we all do. We know these individuals. And, and to be able to share the hope of eternal life with them. And that's free. You know, there's nothing they have to do other than choose to believe in the, what the gospel has to say. And this is something that, that we can do. We got, that today I want to talk about this immeasurable power of God. It's truly unlimited. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He created the entire universe from nothing, from nothing, and can recreate each of us into somebody holy and destined for eternal glory. I want to share a short illustration. My father, who was gone home to be with the Lord, um, he uh, he had uh, moved up to uh, Idaho Falls from Southern California. Uh, he went to Saddleback uh, Church, uh, Rick Warren's church, for a long time. Came up here, started attending uh, the Nazarene Church in Idaho Falls. It wasn't pushing his hot button. You know, it just you know, it's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, there were other people. You know, I started to say that I was in a, uh, a, a four-square church and a, and a vineyard church and then a Nazarene church, and then I pastored uh, most recently in a Baptist church. You know, we come in all flavors, guys. And it's like ice cream. It's all good. It's all good. It doesn't matter what flavor it is. Uh, and so he, he ended up going to a Lutheran church in Idaho Falls, and it, it turned out that he was going to become a member of the church. And on, on that particular day that he was going to be brought in as a member, whatever the term is they use, he was going to be brought into the church. And it coincided with a day that I was going to happen to be preaching at the Church of the Nazarene in Idaho Falls. I don't, I don't think Les was there. I think it was his successor that was there at that time. And, and, um, and he was either going to be away or whatever and, and asked me to preach in his stead. And I uh, was telling my father this, and he felt terrible. He, he just said, I don't want to miss your preaching, but I have to be at this, at this membership thing. And I said, Dad, don't worry about it. And he said, you know, he says, I just feel like a low life. I feel like such a low life. And I said, Dad, you're not a low life, you're a Lutheran. <laughs> now... I've preached in that same church a number of times and, and uh, with the pastor there who's a man of God and he taught the Bible. He's a great guy. Uh, and I shared that story because most of those folks knew my father before he died. So, so we're not knocking Lutherans today, okay? We're just simply, they're a different flavor, okay? That's all there is to it, okay? He, but here's the thing, actually, and I'm going to embarrass you now. I'm going to ask you to do something, okay? I'm going to ask you to do something you probably don't want to do, 
but I want you to do it again. I want you to turn to the person next to you or somebody next to you and tell them they're not a low life. Would you do that? Just turn to someone next to you and say that. That, that, never, that never fails to get people laughing when you ask them to turn to someone and tell them something. Now I want you to do something else right now. I want you to tell yourself, and I want you to say it. You, you can be out loud. I want it to be out loud. It doesn't have to be shouting it, but I want you to tell yourself, I'm not a low life. Do that right now. Because it's so important that we, that we audibly hear ourselves in praise and worship. It's so important that we raise our voices and we, we give voice to the words that we're singing and worshiping God. Hearing ourselves say those things. And I think it's really important that we hear ourselves tell ourselves the truth of what the Word of God is. We're new. We're righteous in Christ. We're not low lives. Okay? So, so we need to keep that in mind. Okay? Now listen, last week... Uh, Pastor Les, let it be known that I had recently published a book, Pastor Jason, uh, read read that today. Uh, it's entitled Genesis and Geology. I'm a geologist by formal training. Uh, Genesis and Geology for People of Faith and People of Fact. And, and I wrote it for several reasons, primarily because God, I really believe God told me to. Uh, it was, I, I, thought it took, I thought it took me five years to do it. Uh, my wife told me it was ten years. Okay, so... <laughs> And she's probably more accurate than that. Um, it took a while, okay? But, but it was interesting because whenever I ran into a roadblock um, and I just stopped and prayed, God gave me what I needed to know about how he created the earth. And, and so it really meant a lot. And it's, so the book, I'm not here to plug the book. I'm going to read several excerpts from it throughout the course of the message. But the, the, whole, the purpose of that was to strengthen Christians. You know, we're kind of assailed by science, Science is telling us all sorts of stuff. It's important to distinguish between facts and theory, right? So we, we have to do that. For example, the theory of evolution. Evolution has never been proven, okay? It's a theory, okay? It's a simple way. It's simply a way to explain observations, okay? It's not proven, okay? But where we have facts, things that can be measured, things that can be touched, things that can be predicted, things that can be reproduced, those, in my mind, facts are little elements of truth and, and where we are we are in, indwelt by the by the holy spirit who jesus referred to as the spirit of truth we shouldn't be afraid of facts okay we have nothing to fear so so this is something that that, that i meant that for christians to not be afraid of the facts um be afraid of some of the theories but don't be afraid of the facts um at the same time was also meant the other purpose of the book is to reach reach people who are scientifically minded, who have eliminated God from the equation of life in their lives. Okay? So I want to reach them. I want to be able to speak their language, respect their facts, and, and show them that they, they can have their facts and they can have faith. Okay? They can have facts and they can be saved. That they, have, that they too can have that hope of eternal life. So with that said... The book uh, describes what I would refer to as a mutually uh, reinforcing relationship between geology and, and, um, and the Genesis creation account. Okay? It reflects a statement of a theologian and physicist. His name is uh, John Polkinghorn. I don't, know if I've never, I don't know who he is particularly. I've read about him. I, in fact, I included the quote in the book. Um, John Polkinghorn said this, Science and religion are friends, not foes. Okay, they're friends, not foes. And indeed, the Bible tells us what God did. Science is simply trying to tell us how he did it. 
It's unraveling how God did certain things. Well, I consider, uh, you know, one of the things that Pastor Les uh, influenced me with, and that was, and I carried it on in ministry after after I left the Nazarene Church and, and other ministries I've been involved with. One of the things I know he has you do is stand as we read the Word of God. I've used that on occasion myself. So I ask you to stand now as we read two passages. Uh, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So let's do that, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of watery depths, uh, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Now, in Gospel of John, again, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Just remain standing as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We see it as divine truth, the truth that emanates from you. Uh, given to us out of love, given to us to understand how to live our lives, and Lord, to reach out to others. So Father, as we, as we look into your word today, into that divine truth, we ask that you attend to this time, that you open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. And we ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Um, I, I, I consider these two passages, and you can understand some of the wording there, to be uh, what I would call companion passages, uh, because they're similar in wording and meaning, but also can be seen a little bit different in content. We'll get into that in, in just a moment. But before we look at those similarities and differences, uh, I, I, need to, I need to make a confession to you, Okay. I need to confess something. I've got to get it off my, off my chest. It's just really important uh, because I want to be straightforward with you today. Last week, Pastor Les uh, mentioned uh, that when he was in seminary, and everybody that goes to seminary uh, takes a particular class known as homiletics. And homiletics is, is basically, as Pastor Les explained, it teaches future preachers how to preach. That's an important thing, I think. Don't you think so? I mean, yeah, it's important that we teach preachers how to preach. So my confession is this. I never had homiletics. So let's get started with my sermon, okay? Can we do that? Okay. Uh, I want to go back and, and very quickly looking at Genesis chapter 1. And I'm trying, okay, I see the clock up there. I know how much time I have. It's not enough, but we'll get through it, okay? So uh, Genesis chapter 1, in, the, in, in ver- just the very first verse, okay? In the beginning... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want to stop there for a second because there's some very, very important information and we need to look at this, okay? Uh, And that is the beginning. This word beginning, it implies uh, implies that there was a starting point, a starting point for our universe. And prior to that, there was nothing. Prior to that starting point, prior to the beginning, there was no matter. There was no space because there was no matter to hold it. There was no light. 
And there was no time. No time, okay? In fact, one might understand that besides God, who, who, who resides in this spiritual dimension or realm, and we see that in Scripture, the, the Gospel writer John also says that God is spirit, all right? Uh, Jesus, of course, became a man, lived in the flesh like us. But, but for the most part, we're talking about the spiritual realm that existed before the beginning. And besides God, there may have been what you and I might describe, if we remember high school physics or chemistry or whatever, uh, and it's been over 50 years for me, but, but uh, we might understand that there was an infinite amount of what we would call potential energy residing in God. Potential energy, okay, and, and, and just a tremendous amount of that. And it was waiting for God in his time to release it, to convert it into kinetic energy. And when that happened, the universe formed, right? The, 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 prior to the beginning, nothing but energy, release of energy, and then we have the universe. Probably, and, and if you're chemi- chemistry-minded, um, probably a tremendous amount, innumerable atoms of hydrogen, and, and we see that hydrogen is the most basic of all the elements on a periodic table. That can get converted, can combine. It forms heavier and heavier elements and, and those things that make up the planets and everything else. So with that said, uh, and I go into that in great detail in the book, um, some people <clears throat> look at that chapter and go, I think I'll skip this chapter. <laughs> It's not that detailed because I'm really not a chemist at heart. Okay, I try to keep it simple. But with that said, with all that said, uh, this, this intense amount of energy that I said, this potential energy. Astronomers, when they're trying to uh, come up with a reason for how the, how the world formed, how the universe was formed, they recognize it had a starting point also. Okay, they're right. I mean, so, so, so the science and, and science and, and the Bible are in agreement there. There was a beginning. And what science tells us, what astronomers and as cosmetologists tell us, not, not cosmologists, not cosmetologists. Okay. And I didn't do that on purpose, it's just I came out that way. Cosmologists, those who study the cosmos, the, the heavens, the universe, they, they tell us that, that there was this beginning, but at, prior to the beginning there was what they call a singularity. Somebody, you probably, you've probably read that somewhere, heard that, a singularity. When you look it up and, and see what, what are they actually talking about, basically they're saying that the singularity uh, was a region of immense energy. <laughs> this is what we've talked about, a region of immense energy. That, that gets released into constructive, uh, constructive kinetic energy. See, so, so we see that. So right from this very first verse in the Bible, you can see that the Bible and science are not at odds with one another. Okay? They're not at odds with one another. We can begin to even begin to share that uh, with individuals who might be science-minded. Just that very first verse in the beginning. Okay? So we look at that and, and we see that, that, that there's a beginning of the universe transpired and that gives us a taste of, of God's omnipotence, his incredible power, unlimited power. And here's another taste of, of, of God's might, okay? Now I just happen to have this here. This is a, this is a Milky Way bar, okay? Um, I, you know, I, I can honestly tell you that in 70 years of living... Um, I've tasted virtually every candy bar that exists. You know, how about you? You, you know, and, and every time I go to the candy aisle, um, I look at all these things, all these brightly lit up, 
wrapped packages, and I always come back to the Milky Way. I always come home to the Milky Way. Okay. Now, you know what? I'm not going to go along about this. It's creamy caramel. It's smooth nougat, although it's spelled like nougat, but whatever. Uh, it, it's wrapped in chocolate, you know, and it's good. This particular one is the share size. It has two bars in it. It says 230 calories per serving, and there's two servings. So each bar is 230 calories. You don't need to know all that. But I asked these young ladies when church, before church started if they like candy. Was it you guys? Yeah, and you all said, yeah, okay. But none of you said Milky Ways were your favorite. I got, I got all sorts of different ones, Kit Kat and something else. But uh, I want to give this to you. And your friends are gone. How cool is that? So there's only there's two. So you can have that, okay? Share it. Right? It's a share size, okay? So with that said, I mean, it was kind of a way of illustrating this whole idea. The, whether you believe the earth is 10,000 years old, and that's fine, or whether you believe it's billions of years old, and honestly, that's probably okay too, because neither of that is, defines our salvation, okay? But regardless of how you feel the age of the earth, astronomers tell us that the Milky Way galaxy, hence the Milky Way candy bar, okay? The Milky Way galaxy, which is our home galaxy, contains billions of stars, and, and don't you know that there are billions of galaxies containing billions of stars? That's how immense the universe is. Right? And so with that said, the Milky Way galaxy, which is home to the Earth, where our, where our planet resides in, they tell us that, uh, uh, that it, the, the Milky Way is speeding through the universe at 200 miles per second. That's pretty fast. Now, I, I'm going to read that sentence again, okay? Whether you believe the Earth is 10,000 years old or billions of years old, astronomers tell us that the Milky Way galaxy, home to our planet, is speeding through the universe at 200 miles per second. I timed that this morning. It took me 10 seconds to read that. Okay? 10 seconds. 2,000 miles. The Earth just traveled with the galaxy 2,000 miles in the time it took me to read that sentence. Now, what's significant about that? I mean, that's pretty cool. That's kind of a neat factoid, I guess, to know. Um, but here's what, I wanted, here's what I want to tell you. That's pretty fast, but here's what we know. Astronomers tell us that the Milky Way galaxy has barely moved since the creation. It's still basically in the same place. Moving at 200 miles per second... And I don't know how astronomers figure it out. But they're basically, they're basically saying that moving at that rate, it's barely moved since the creation. Now, why am I telling that? Because that really underscores just how powerful God is. He created the universe. It's so immense. It's so immense that the Milky Way galaxy moving at 200 miles per second appears to be standing still. That's a pretty powerful God. That's a pretty powerful God. Also in verse 1, we see in the beginning, God, and then we'll look at that word God for a moment. The word God is, is um, singular in the English language, uh, and it establishes our faith, Christianity, along with Judaism and Islam, as a, as a monotheistic, a one God faith system. Christianity believes there is one God. We believe that there is one God. However, interestingly, when you look in the Hebrew 
it would say, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Elohim is plural. Wow. We have a monotheistic faith, and yet we have this plural God creating. Well, let's back off for a second. Let's really say what that means, okay? Uh, we can say Christianity has one God who is plural in nature. And we explain this plurality by saying there are three divine persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And together they comprise the Godhead and what we refer to as the Trinity. So we might reread Genesis chapter 1-1 as this. At the starting point of all things, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. But when we look at John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Now, John's referring to the word here. The word is with God. The word is God. It's Jesus. The word is Jesus. But, but John in the Bible is attributing him to the one who created all things. What we might conclude then is that Jesus is the agent of creation, recognizing that, that Jesus, God the Son, created everything at the will of God the Father. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me. And so we have this idea then that Jesus is, was created the universe as God the Father, according to God the Father's will, and empowered and directed by God the Holy Spirit. The last thing I want to look at in, in, in verse 1 is this. Again, in the beginning, God created. That word create is a Hebrew word, bara, or bere, depending on how you want to pronounce your Hebrew. If you know better, please come and tell me afterwards. But I like bara. Uh, bara, and, and when you look at bara and define it, it means to make something from nothing. To make something from nothing. The Latin is ex nihilo, ex nihilo, which means from nothing. Well, you're learning, you're learning Hebrew, you're learning Latin, and a little bit I'm going to teach you. Well, I already taught you some Greek with uh, with ecclesia, ecclesia. So, man, you guys are learning a lot today. This is kind of like uh, taking a speed learning foreign language class. Okay. Well, listen, the, the, the word, is, is, again, the, to bara is to make from nothing. Uh, again, the Bible and science are in agreement. Science tells us that the universe came from nothing. Other than this singularity that somehow became everything. Right? And in fact, science refers to that beginning. What's the name of the, the, the sitcom we've all watched? The Big, the Big Bang. Thank you. Reference. By the way, um, just a little sidelight there. Um, there. There was a uh, a uh, Belgian priest. Um, I can't remember his name now, but he came up with this idea, uh, calculating the beginning of the of the universe from some type of a large explosive event. He had a rival. There was a rival guy, uh, a physicist, who disagreed with that. And he mockingly referred to the Belgian priest's theory about how the universe came to be. He mockingly called it the Big Bang. Okay? 
never meaning for it to catch on, but it caught on much to his chagrin. Of course, he's passed on by now. He had some other brilliant ideas that were true, by the way. But let me suggest this to you. Uh, you know, where science might call the beginning of the universe the Big Bang, perhaps we can call it the Barah Bang. Okay? It is the Barah Bang, how God created everything. So how great is our God? How great is our God? Can he deal with your issues? Can he, can he uh, deal with those things that are so big, so overwhelming, so discouraging? And the answer, of course, is yes, he can. Also keep in mind, the same God who is all-powerful loves you. He loves you, just as you are. Just as you are. He doesn't see you as a low life. I don't think he sees anybody as a low life because he loves everybody. But he loves you so much, he's willing to take some of that power and use it to change who we are. Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and we've got to go back there again very quickly. Genesis 1, verse 2 says three things about the earth. It says the earth at this time is formed. Now, the earth was, I shouldn't say formed, it was created. The earth was formless and empty and dark. I want to quickly go over those words with you. Formless in Hebrew is the word tohu, T-O-H-U, tohu. And it's defined as chaotic or lacking structure. Listen, there's no coincidence. If tohu means chaotic and lacking structure, there's absolutely no coincidence that tohu rhymes with tofu. I mean, it's, it's, it's destined by God. And if you're a vegetarian, I, I'm sorry. I just couldn't resist that. Um, the second word that you need to know is that word empty. It says the earth was formless and empty. Empty in Hebrew is bohu, and it means without purpose. So we have this tohu and bohu earth. It's chaotic. It's lacking structure. It has no purpose. And finally, it's dark. It's in the darkness, okay? The Bible tells us that, that the early earth, in, in essence, was kind of a mess. It was just disorganized, chaotic, without structure, in the dark. But we should not assume that God somehow lost control of his creation or that it was spinning out of control. Okay? It wasn't. It, it, this is, let me give you an analogy to this or an illustration. The word Scrabble, the game Scrabble. Scrabble. Um, if you played Scrabble, you know that there's some things there that take place. You, you, know, you, you get all these tiles with letters on them, and you try to make words on the game board. Let's pretend you're going to play Scrabble, but it's in the dark. There's no light. And somehow you've got this handful of these tiles with letters on them, but you can't see them. And so the conclusion you may walk away is this game is chaotic. It is without form. It's structureless. And it's got no purpose. What do I do? But then the light comes on. A light comes on and you're being in. So then you begin, to, you begin to form words and you're beginning to create some structure and some order. And finally, over the course of time, all the words that can be formed appear. And the initial tohu and bohu of the letter tiles become ordered and the game is completed because there was light. Because it was light. And we see that in verse 3 when God says, let there be light. Let there be light. And so the tohu and bohu and the darkness is gone. These things are being replaced by order, structure, and purpose until the creation is completed after six days. 
after six days. Now, the Genesis 1, uh, verses 1 through 31, uses that word day six times. The Hebrew word is yom, yom, Y-O-M. It's defined as a period of time with a beginning and an end, and it can vary in duration. It can be less than 24 hours. For instance, when the initial uh, meaning for yom was hot, and it referred to the time of day when it's hot, when the sun was up. So it can be less than 24 hours. It can be 24 hours. It can be more than 24 hours. It can be an age, which is simply a long period of time. The variance in hours for a day in Genesis can be contentious within the church. But as believers, we need to begin to respect each other's opinions so long as those opinions do not violate Scripture and the meaning of the words. I want to read a, a, an excerpt very quickly from the book. Uh, it begins. How, how many of you remember West Side Story? You, ever, you know what West Side Story was kind of a play, musical, uh, late 50s, I think. And everything was kind of uh, choreographed. There was singing, there was dancing around and stuff. Um, and, and then, uh, but West Side Story featured two rival gangs, the Sharks and the Jets, okay? And so let's look at this very quickly. Uh, there is a debate between young earth creationists who believe the universe is no more than 10,000 years old and old earth creationists who accept it as much, much older. That debate is akin to a West Side Story type encounter between the Jets and the Sharks as they face off in an alley, not with knives, but with scripture verses, facts, and theories. The young earthers' rhythmic finger-snapping and choreographed accusations with razor-sharp uh, Bible passages thrust and slash at the facts and figures of the science-minded old earthers. The latter gang members sidestep and slash back with counter-accusations. Really? What is at stake at this ongoing less-than-holy gang war? The authority of the Bible? No. Man's salvation? No. Perhaps it's something to do with tradition, fear, and an age-old problem of pride. From a purely Christian perspective, absolutely none of the basic tenets of the faith are threatened by the number of hours in a day. The immense importance of the cross and its offering of eternal life should not be diminished by something as petty as ours. Now, I know some of you are probably young earth creation, or yeah, young earth creationists. I'm fine, because the reality is this. God is omnipotent. He could have created the universe with just a snap of his finger. But he chose not to. And he gives this day by day, yom by yom, account of what he did. He knew what he was doing and how long it would take him to complete his design and purpose for the earth. Part of his design and purpose includes each of us, created on the sixth day. Each of us, and, and we would require the passage of time for him to complete his design and purpose for our individual lives. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Now, in a, in, a, in a denomination that espouses the idea of, of um, entire sanctification, which it says sanctification is a process, but we are sanctified at the moment of, of our salvation. But 
Sanctification is also a process. It takes time. Becoming holy, becoming holy, becoming holy, and finally when we die, we are completely holy. So this is process takes time, and this is the key thing. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning, when it says the beginning here, it's the same beginning as in chapter 1 of Genesis. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's the same beginning, the start of the universe. But then there's, there's this kind of a little bit of a deviation that takes place. It says, it says all things were created through him, meaning Jesus. Apart from him, nothing was, was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And so we, we start to see that there, there is kind of a similarity with Genesis 1, verses 1 through 5, but there's also a little bit different. That's why I call them companion verses. The Genesis verses describe the creation of the universe and the beginning of all matter. The Apostle John's Gospels verses describe the same creation event, but also the recreation of mankind in the beginning of the spiritual rebirth of everyone who chooses to believe in Jesus. And whereas that word bara means to create from nothing, there's another Hebrew word for create here. It's the word asa, A-S-A. To asa means to, to create by rearranging something that exists already into something else. So that whole Genesis account might be a metaphor might be a metaphor for you and me. In other words, before we chose to believe in Jesus, each of us was in some manner tohu, bohu, and in the dark. Each of us was entombed in a spiritual darkness. And each of those undesirable characteristics, the tohu, bohu, and darkness, were brought on by sin. You know, Paul wrote this. He said, what a wretched man I am. What a low life I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, the agent of creation, is also the agent of recreation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 basically says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Each of us in Christ Jesus is a new creation. But just like the earth was created, it was over time that it became perfected. And for each of us today who struggle, who struggle with some, some, some idea that I'm not doing things right. Well, you know, sometimes we're not doing things right, but God still sees us differently. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 says that, says that in Jesus we may, we may live a new life. In other words, it has been made possible for you and I to live this new kind of life. This new kind of life that God has called us to live in Christ. And it takes time. And that's okay. It's a process. Sanctification takes time. Just as the earth was formless and empty and dark, and now look at it today, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Each of these verses gives us hope that 
recreation. Just as, just as the tohu and bohu of the original earth was displaced by light when God said, let there be light. We have this wonderful verse. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Nothing overcomes the light of Christ. As we become new, as we become renewed, Jesus gives us new life. He assaz us, rearranging our lives so that we might be holy. Listen, I want to tell you something right now, okay? The difference here is this. If, if before we came to Christ, our lives were a mess, and they remain a mess unless you come to Christ. And so we're speaking, if you're watching online, and maybe there's someone here today who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Let me tell you something. You don't want to be destined to this eternal hell. You don't even want to live, continue to live a life that is a mess. But it's in Jesus that we get order, we get structure, and we get purpose. It's through him. And it's simple. Paul in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 said this, if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning he is the eternal, the immortal God, the Son who became a man so he could die, and if you can believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you're saved. So if you're not saved, it's very simple. In fact, I I just want to stop right now and pray for you. If you're not saved, just pray, pray what I'm praying. I just repeat what I'm praying. Dear God, I, I, I confess my life's a mess. I confess it's chaotic. I confess before you, Lord, it's unstructured. I confess it's empty. I confess it's dark. And I ask for the light of Jesus. I choose to believe he is Lord. I choose to believe He is the immortal and the eternal. God the Son. I choose to believe he died for my sins. I choose to believe that he was raised from the dead. And I choose to believe that I am saved. If that was you today and here, come tell me afterwards. I want to wrap this up very quickly now. Um, Good news, I'm on my last page, so that's helpful. We've got three minutes. Um, you know, Jesus sees beyond our physical existence, okay? He sees into our essence, into our growing Christ-like character. Okay? Now, we might, we might look at ourselves, we do a self-assessment and say, man, I'm a loser. Man, I keep failing. I just keep messing up. You know, we might do, we, and sometimes we do that. When we do that, you just confess it. Say, I'm sorry, God. We all have problems. We all mess up. But Jesus sees beyond that. You know? He sees beyond that. And, and I, I want to give you an example. You know, I told you I'm a geologist. And so, you know, one of the things in geology is, is we love rocks. But you know what? I picked up this rock the other day. It's been weathered. I have no idea. It's just beat up. It's beat up. It's weathered. It's pitted. And the only way to really know what kind of rock that is is to break it open. So you three right here, okay? I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to break this rock. Okay, same with you guys, okay? 
You're, you're the splash zone at SeaWorld. Well, this is the smash zone. So, okay, on three, you're going to close your eyes, right? Ready? One, two, three. Jason, is your eyes open? I can't tell. I think your eyes are open. Let's do it safer, okay? Let's do it a safer way. Illustration. Michelangelo, famous sculptor. He said this. You go to these quarries in Italy. Carrera, I think it was. Marble quarry. And he would pick a block that he wanted to, to sculpt from. And this is what Michelangelo said. Every block of marble I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. Did you catch that? In every block, just a plain block sitting there, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. That's how Jesus sees you and me. That's how Jesus sees us. He looks past our flaws and he sees a beautiful person shaped in Christ-like beauty, perfect in attitude and action. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10. I'm going to look at that very quickly. I didn't earmark it in here. Shame on me. Uh, basically, it says that we are God's workmanship. And the, the Greek word for workmanship is poema. Poema. And it means work of art. Masterpiece. We are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. How long do you think it took Michelangelo to chisel the pieta? He didn't do it a day. Well, he didn't do it in a week. How long is God going to be chiseling at you? <laughs> when you submit to him, and he's able to chisel away all that weathered stuff, all that pitted, weathered stuff, and reveals a beautiful person that you really are in Christ. Let's give him the time, okay? We're God's holy projects, his workmanship, his poema. And just as this, uh, the earth became a sphere of beauty and purpose over time, we too will become godly beauty beautiful in God's eyes. I want to, I'm over, but I want to read one last excerpt from you. Um, I'll speed read it, okay? Uh, The initial verses of Genesis tell us that the early earth was tohu and bohu. These Hebrew words help us to understand that the early earth was, in simple terms, a rather unorganized place. That is how the beginning of anything great appears at its onset. The formerly weed-infested vacant lot around the corner, around the block from my former home, has been converted into a useful facility. It houses a business where the physical rehabilitation of broken human bodies occurs. But before the rehab could occur, the weeds had to be removed from that lot. Then the lot was leveled and building materials were delivered. At one point, a two-foot-thick multi-story concrete wall with Rube Goldberg looking steady in straps was erected. I drove by the construction site every day and wondered what was being built. The construction project was a slow, deliberate, day-by-day effort. In the end, the once useless lot and then confusing construction site became a facility for fixing physically broken men, women, and children. The primordial earth was similar. It started out as a big mess, 
but it turned out pretty nice. It has many beautiful beaches, oceans, forests, mountains, and other wonders. But in the beginning, the Bible tells us it was empty and without purpose. And it was chaotic and without structure. In addition to these negative traits, it was in the dark. These adjectives of the early earth portray you and me in our sin-tarnished condition. In short, there's a period in our lives when we are a combination of weed-infested emptiness, when we lack obvious purpose, when we live a chaotic existence, when we are without healthy countenance. We are tohu and bohu and crying (laughs) boo-hoo. To top it off, it's a period of intense emotional and spiritual pain and darkness. All this is really a manifestation of the broken spiritual condition brought on by our sin. Our sin separates us from God. There is a great sin-induced gulf between us and God. That gulf leaves us in deep spiritual darkness. If we're honest with ourselves, we long for our broken souls and spirits to undergo rehabilitation. The metaphor is complete. The early and hospital earth depicts man and his sin. Moreover, just as the earth progressively became ordered and purposeful in accordance with God's design, we too can have the same outcome. This is because he planned for us to have order, purpose, and hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that it's your desire, it's part of your plan. That any darkness, any chaos, any lack of structure, any lack of purpose in our lives be replaced by the light of Jesus. As assigning us, recreating us into the men and women that we were born to be. I pray for my brothers and sisters here, wherever they are in that, in that stretch of time, I pray you sustain them, that you give them hope, that we all continue to seek after the truth of your word, that pure milk of the word, that we grow in our salvation, that we, we are no longer entrapped in a block of marble, but Lord, that we are released, that we are Christ-like in our attitude and our actions. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.